0: This episode brought to you by Team Stripes Academy. Learn from some of the top officials in the world. Start today at TeamStripesAcademy.com.
1: You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast. The podcast for hockey referees. Each show, we discuss the world of officiating and find out that not everything is black and white. Here are your hosts, Daniel Spence and Brandon Bourgeois.
0: everybody, welcome back to a, another fantastic episode of the Team Stripes podcast. We hope uh, you guys have enjoyed the last few episodes, including last week's with TJ Courtney and Mike Keo, which got a lot of positive feedback. Uh, this week we're really uh, really fortunate to have a good friend of mine and uh, somebody who uh, has certainly experienced a lot here in the referee community in Ottawa over the past several seasons. Our guest this week is Adam Millard who has refereed for the last five or six years here in Ottawa and uh, last year did junior as a linesman and uh, is refereeing AAA as well. Um, He's currently a university student completing his studies and we uh, are really happy to have him on the show. So uh, Adam, welcome to the uh, Team Stripes podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Brandon. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, I guess you were telling me earlier you just finished uh, some exams for school. How did that all uh, go? It, it went pretty good, to be honest.
1: I uh, had a couple of exams and I also had a few papers to write, so I ended up not procrastinating too much, but uh, got them done. And still waiting to hear back on how they actually went. But uh, you know, it's summertime now, making a little bit of money at uh, at working and some spring hockey refereeing and
0: yeah, so kind of t- going. From there. Yeah. So tell me about that. You were just uh, you were telling me you also did some spring hockey this weekend. What's uh, what's that all about?
1: Yeah, so it was um, kind of after the end of the season, so all the spring AAA kids and I guess double A kids as well get together and they form their teams. And I had a friend, a close buddy from District B, so my home uh, home district, who I guess he he's kind of in the in the loop of all the minor hockey uh, spring stuff. So he gets to sign a few games every I guess it's every spring and early May. So he I was thankful to be given a few Saturdays and a few Fridays for the last three, four weeks of games, about seven games a day. So I get out there and with some of the guys and have a good time for a few hours and make a make a good money.
0: <laughs> so what age group would that be?
1: So this was um, – it actually went from all the way down to the the novice, uh, Adam, Peewee, and Bantam. So I didn't have any of the midget stuff. But uh, the last couple of weekends, it was just the strictly – uh, Bantam and Peewee's, which was a little bit better than just having the, uh, the novice Adamkins out there, but you can talk to them a little bit more and it's, uh, it was good. It was, I was out there with the two Olivers actually the last weekend.
0: Oh yeah. The two Oliver
1: uh, it, Yeah, it was good. It was a fun time. Uh,
0: so that's obviously a three man system you guys are doing there.
1: Yeah, actually we, we changed it up a little bit this last weekend instead of doing just the general, um, you got your one referee, two lines. We actually just uh, did it to with two guys with the stripes, and then uh, working the modified three-man system with one guy in the lines. So it was uh, it was different. We've all worked at uh, some different stages, not not any minor hockey stuff, but kind of just out and about refing uh, exhibition games and such. We did we've done it before, but uh, it was a learning experience, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, it was fun too. Do you find that's a lot uh, different than like the uh, so I like uh, for our listeners, a lot of a lot of them in the U.S. will have I guess used that. As, I think they call it the Texas two-man. But uh, I mean, what's your thoughts on that system? Did you enjoy it? Honestly, it was uh, I was impressed.
1: I I always well I was always used to the the three-man system of always just being on the lines. Usually, I never kind of I didn't referee too much. Just the way the way I went up in the ranks over the last years, I was just pretty much just lining, uh, probably, I'd say probably over 75% of the games I was doing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's different, you know, being able to have, uh, more of kind of like the four man system with the two referees out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You have more neutral zone action as the back official and, um, as the linesman. it's still kind of the same stuff, reading the play and, and making sure that you're getting to the line. But, uh, obviously a few different things, um, comparing the two systems, but, uh, it was great. It's, uh, it's good having two extra eyes on the, on the game, which I felt was really helpful. Yeah. And, um, the coaches at first, uh, they were all a little confused cause, uh, they didn't really know what was going on mm. and, and like the front official or the front referee, I should say, making some of the offside calls as the plays entering the zone and, uh, all those kind of things. They were a little confused, but, um, we were there all day seeing the same kind of team. So it uh, well, they kind of, they figured it out as we were going along. It's like how we did it as well. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a good ex, good learning experience, that's for sure. Yeah,
0: and I would imagine like doing something like that would be easier. If you're doing like seven games in a day or a weekend, Like it's probably a little easier than having to do the three-man as a referee where you're just kind of booking it up and down. I mean, a full day of that can probably be pretty tiring. So <laughs> no, I'd yeah. this one made it, maybe made it a little bit easier? Yeah, it was
1: uh... – it was actually a lot easier as the, I did the first couple of games actually on the lines. So um, I guess to my knowledge, at least uh, with the three man system, with uh, the, the modify with two refs, one line, the um, the line is kind of, uh, you're obviously trying to read the play as best as you can, trying to get to your line, but you turn into the the back liney and the front referee with the stripes kind of takes over that line when it's going into the zone. And then you slowly make your way over to – or I shouldn't say slowly, but you get to your line. And then you take over the line afterwards, and it kind of repeats going back and forth. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, it was, – I'd say it was a lot easier on the legs and uh, the generally cardio all the way through the day, because uh, especially having the stripes, because I finished off the day actually three straight – with the bands, mm-hmm. so I was kind of just, um, I was kind of just getting into it and uh, staying moving, which actually helped it a lot than uh, all the stops and starts kind of stuff. So, it was uh, it was great. Yeah. It was um, wasn't just one guy ripping up and down the boards. Like <laughs> it was uh, it was different, and I, I would definitely like I wouldn't be opposed doing that in minor hockey. I honestly feel like it's it's a good system. Uh, it obviously gets a little bit a uh, little bit more tight on all side calls because um, with the referee almost he's kind of backing up into the zone more like a four man referee would be doing it, and he still has to kind of cover that for that line.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It makes it a little bit more difficult, but um, honestly, having two eyes really looking at the game for penalty wise, it's in uh, uh, playoff hockey. It's I think it's almost more beneficial to have that.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, it's uh, it's like I know when I played, it was sort of uh, I that's when I played in the U.S. for prep school, like that was the system we used was the the Texas two-man, and it was good for penalties, I guess, because you had two sets of eyes. But like you're saying, it's a little tougher on those offsides and uh and icings, I guess, to kind of judge. But um, right. anyways, switching switching a little bit. Uh, so as I was mentioning in the introduction, you're you're in your is it your fifth or sixth season, or is it is that is that correct? Yeah, it'll
1: be. Um, so I started in 20. Uh, well, I wanted to start actually in 2012, but um, uh, I, I think I'd missed the cutoff line to actually get in, and there's uh, they already picked their officials. So I ended up starting in September 2013. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be starting my sixth season actually coming up in this fall. So I'm pretty happy about that. Um, but yeah, up until this point, it was. It's, been relatively smooth sailing
0: yeah and after you've, up, you've done pretty well you've moved up quite a bit to doing junior hockey and triple a i mean can you kind of uh maybe talk a little bit about your, your kind of your progression and how you moved up through the levels yeah definitely so uh at the beginning it
1: was i guess how everyone else starts um i was just doing my my novice and atoms on the weekends and grinding those early morning three sets of the Novice House League and all that kind of stuff. And I was actually really thankful by the end of the year. I'd done enough games, and I guess I'd been seen by um, enough people and, like, in supervisions and all um, that I was actually given bands – or no, I wasn't given bands. I was given lines for Pee Wee House League hmm. at the end of the first season I was doing. So uh, at that point in time, I was a little happy because I slowly moving my way out of having to do those early morning games. And um, then after that, it was kind of worked on my three-man and a little bit less a two-man the next year. And it was in my third season, I actually got the call to uh, move up to Central. So I started doing some of the, the Central hockey, which would be major PWA all the way up to midget AAA. And at the time, they didn't really have the, the U18 system. I don't believe they did. Um, so it was kind of just the minor midget AAA, major midget AAA, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, up until up until it would have been my f- the end of my fourth year, I was kind of just doing central hockey and a little bit less of kind of like the home district, District B stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and then I was thankful, actually, at the beginning of my fifth season, I uh, was invited with uh, a few other guys from District B, uh, the home district, uh, Sean Corcoran and Taylor Spradbroe. To go to the um, the September Labor Day midget AAA camp, um, just over at the Bell Sensplex uh, in Canada, Ontario, right near the uh, where the Sens play. Mm. And uh, we did our midget AAA camp there. We had uh, good. It was a really, really good learning experience, actually, getting to meet new people and I guess the higher up people in the uh, in the refing community and minor at least. And uh, we got to do that and. It was, um, I think it was the assigner, it would have been, it would have been S- Steve Slay, who uh, was talking to Sean Tobin, who at the time, I guess he was the director of supervisions for, uh, for the Home District B and Central, Central Referee, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for a few new officials for the upcoming junior season, and Sean, being a nice guy as he is, he uh, he's pointed out Sean Taylor and I, and then the, I guess the rest was history, then made it onto the junior list, um, just by knowing the right people I guess at the time.
0: and uh, yeah then that's kind of that's kind of how I went from there okay and then obviously you've done pretty well I think there at those levels and and uh, I've heard uh, very good things about how you've done so obviously you've made the right impressions I guess on the right people to, to, to be at those levels um, and one topic I, I really wanted to talk about today which we've discussed um, a little bit um, is about kind of the topic of how you deal with, with parents and coaches and kind of how you manage the humans the human uh, element of the game. And I know you hear this a lot. I mean, referees talk back and forth about this. And certainly when I was starting this podcast, that was kind of a recurring theme that people wanted to, to talk about. And obviously, you're an experienced guy, and you've sort of seen it all, and you continue to see it all. And uh, I mean, for me, I mean, a lot of the parents and the coaches, a lot of the... The experiences were where I did not uh, enjoy it as much. Were at some of those younger levels where you have a lot of those newer coaches that you know might not be able to control you know the emotions that they they you know dish out. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> I wondered maybe if you could you could talk about your own experiences with that and you kind of have your own philosophy and maybe you know just sort of talk about uh, talk about your experience with that.
1: Yeah. So I um I'd say. Most of my experience, I guess, of officiating would come from being on the lines. Even though I'm a small guy, and just the way I kind of went up, um, went up the rankings, I was always kind of just lining, uh, lining the highest level that I could pot, like I could do at the time. So I got a lot of the, actually experience of being able to watch more experienced referees, uh, really deal with all the issues, um, of almost like coach abuse and, um, abuse from the fans, like verbal. Uh, not, not physical or anything like that. But, um, I really got to be able to, to see how people really should handle it and how officials should handle these coaches that sometimes go over the edge. And, um, it actually, it really helped me because, um, there's many situations where, especially in junior hockey, where it's completely different as, as you definitely know with, uh, uh, compared to minor hockey where they can get a little, they can get a little crazy and, uh, there's almost like a line where, they're allowed to be a little bit more crazy, uh, and not really get penalized for it, which is a little unfortunate uh, that hockey is kind of that way. But um, it's been great being able to go over the bench and hear how the referee actually communicates with the coach. And um, I guess the biggest thing that I learned, even that was in, actually in my first year um, from director of mentorship of my first year in District B, Craig McKay. He had taught me to, to deal, deal – um, Dealing, I guess
0: we're dealing with douchebags.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I didn't know if I should say that,
0: but uh, Craig was actually on the show a couple weeks ago, so that's he, he kind of talked a little bit about uh, how he taught uh, some of his referees the dealing with douchebags uh, portion yeah. of the seminar.
1: That was the I'll never forget that because it's it's so uh, it's so valid in, in so many ways because uh, just like treating the disrespect with respect, I guess is a huge one as well. I don't know if Craig talked about that, but uh, he he actually told me about that uh, the first year that I was refing as well, and it's uh, it, it it helped me so much because there's so many situations where I've seen referees. Um, I don't know if they they get a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's nerves or anything like that when they go and talk to a coach or or confidence. But, um, they almost rile up the coach a little bit more. Like, if the coach is a little bit angry with their call and he's yelling at the official, the, the referee goes over there and start, instead of trying to, to calm him down and treat the disrespect with respect, they almost go in and heat up the situation more, which, um, which that can really become a problem uh, later, well, at that time and later in the game, because, uh, penalties can really change a game. So, um, that, I guess that whole, um, the dealing with douchebags and uh, treating disrespect with respect is what, probably the biggest thing that I've actually learned from refereeing, and um, thankfully it's actually been a life lesson as well because you're not really gonna get anywhere in life treating people treating people poorly, and even if they're treating you poorly as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's been great. Yeah, nothing but good things, honestly, from refereeing.
0: Yeah, well, that's like so you talked about a couple of things which I want to kind of delve into a little bit. But yep. like, you know, you're you're saying, you know, first off, I think you made a really good point, which, you know, I think, you know, in all sports, especially you know with hockey, I think, you know, when you're when you're putting your kid or your son or daughter into hockey, you're not putting them in with the, with the intention of making the NHL, or at least you shouldn't be, because I mean, only a small small portion make it to that level, right? Definitely. But what I think though is, you know, and you can tell me your perspective on this is that. A lot of it's about teaching values. I mean, teamwork, uh, you know, work ethic, respect. Yeah. You know, it's, it's teaching those life lessons like you were kind of alluding to. And to see a coach kind of go off the handle and just, you know, start screaming and yelling, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's tough as a referee because nobody wants to be shown up. You want to, you know, have a good game. But I think on the other end of things, it's frustrating too because I think we're all here to, to hopefully – Um, be able to teach values to a lot of these kids and you know when you see a coach blow up like that it's tough because you know that maybe those kids aren't you know receiving that sort of uh, you know the teaching the respect or maybe you know the coach cares more about winning than teaching values that that's a little bit frustrating at times always it's uh i've also found in a lot of situations it's the
1: uh the coaches that are just just not knowledgeable enough even um i guess just with those. Uh, general life skills, uh, as well as also knowledgeable in the uh, the referee and uh, the rule book, and just coaching in general. It's uh, so I've had a lot of situations and a lot of games where um, coaches are actually uh, they're they're game breakers in, in in I guess that's the way to say it, but uh, they they'll change the game themselves. That that and co and uh, and parents in the stands. Yep. Um, uh, if a coach really knows how to to coach his players, he can he can rile them up and he can rile them down whenever he wants, right? Yeah. So it's uh it's really it's being able to control the emotions and uh making sure that your kids are actually really not just becoming better hockey players, but becoming better better people in the end, right? Because 17 and 17 years old comes pretty quick for the hockey players so Mm uh that only leaves probably about 10 years to really teach your kids how to become better people so
0: yeah absolutely and it's interesting i think we talked a a little bit about it we sort of you know alluded to it but you know i've always seen personally a a difference between a lot of the minor hockey coaches and a lot of the coaches at the higher levels in in junior and pro i mean it's not to say that you know, the coaches at both levels aren't, you know, yelling sometimes. At junior, it happens all the time. But I find there they, they kind of pick and choose their battles. I mean, a lot of the time, not to justify it, but a lot of the time if they're yelling, it's probably, it's you know, there's a good chance maybe you miss something or there's something controversial that happened. At least you can kind of address it, right? Yeah. Whereas I, as i found in minor hockey that the yelling it happens for a lot less uh there's a, there's a lot less reason for it to happen, right? It could be something very simple that you know is not a penalty or, or you know, whatever. It, it, there's, a, there's a much smaller fuse, I guess, for a lot of these codes, which I think is, is frustrating.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I actually had a, um, a specific example that uh, I was thinking about uh, a little bit earlier in the, in the podcast, but uh, it was a situation I had. It was a, a major midget rep game. This would have been probably th- probably two years ago now. And just a textbook example of coaches, I guess, at a relatively lower level than junior or anything above junior, um, that the coaches just don't, they just don't know the rules, you know. And it's, it's completely, it's a game changer because they just start, they're going off the rails for no reason. And um, the example actually was, um, I was the lining at the blue line and uh, my partner was dropping the puck in the end zone. And I was sitting in front of the bench and at the time, I think it was a tie game. So, uh, tie game late. So the coaches, they're already, you know, at that, that level, they're already getting a little rambunctious and they're getting a little, they're getting a little worried by the score. So, um, guy the back, it would have been the back winger was encroaching on the dot. So I move in a little bit, blow my whistle, kick him out. Pretty easy calls, pretty simple. You can't really get much, much more simple than that in the rule book. So, um, the, the center gets kicked out and make my way back to the boards and waiting for the, the puck to drop after after I'd kicked the guy out. And the coach starts going off behind me and starts screaming at me and telling me, well, why can't that center take the draw? He wasn't the one that um, – the, the reason for that uh, – for the kickout. Yeah. And I turned around and I'm just like, oh, coach. It's just one of those that – it's it's such an easy rule and I guess – I guess major midget rep B, I guess it's a relatively higher level. It's it's a lot higher than all the the house league levels where some coaches really don't know anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it just really shocked me in that situation because um, f- for being such like a, a relatively higher level that coaches really don't know the basic rules, and that it changes things. Like it, it really does because it, it makes them – it makes you not almost want to go over there and, and talk to them about rules or about specific situations that have happened on the ice because you know that they don't know these really simple rules, so you can't really have that rule book, rule book kind of conversation where where coaches in the higher levels they'll actually they'll they won't pick on you, but they'll they'll like you were saying they'll pick and choose their battles ones that they know that they can win just because of uh, because they know the rules.
0: Yeah, you know? exactly.
1: Um, and if you did miss a call because um, maybe you didn't personally know the rule and the coach did, then he'll actually he'll he almost would be able to uh, challenge the game or you know just dis- challenge a disputing of the game. Yeah. And those can, those can be huge at at higher levels and really lower levels as well. So it's it's so important to know the rules as a referee, but just as coaches as well because um, there's been so many situations where where coaches don't know the rules but yet again the players don't know the rules either so it's they, they start kind of yapping on the ice about wanting this called and wanting that called but then you can kind of just turn to the kids and you can end the conversation really quickly because it's just something that really they should know you know just because it's because they're not the ones enforcing the rules it just helps to know the rules you know it just it makes everything flow so much better and
0: yeah no i i you know i i, I totally agree with you and like you know, really to drive the point home, which I think you you touched on again, is that a lot of these uh, coaches, you know, getting fired up or getting into arguments is, is and, you, and, you know, I, I don't want to blame it on the coaches. I'm not saying the coaches are at fault and the referees are angels or whatever, but, you know, a lot of the time at the lower levels, it's because of that lack of rule knowledge where we're talking about how at the higher levels, if there is a coach that argues, it's generally more uh, on a judgment call, you know. Yeah. You know, where there's different interpretations of, you know, what happened, you know, did he catch him with the shoulder to the head? Was it shoulder to shoulder? Did it ride up? But, you know, it's it's those little sort of judgment calls as opposed to, to rule book things. Or if, you know, and then yeah. you're talking about the situations where, you know, <laughs> hopefully a coach doesn't know the rule better than you do. But I have heard of situations in playoffs where, you know, something gets misinterpreted and there's a big issue where they have to replay a game or something. It's it's obviously very rare. Yeah. You know, it, it does happen. And. Uh, I wanted to come back to one thing you were talking about. You're saying how not to sort of you – know, you know, you can't control a coach, right? Yeah. You, you know, sometimes you're going to – there's different personalities. You can't control them. But you're talking about how sometimes a coach might get upset and you don't want to sort of – you yeah. don't want to inflate the situation. I mean, do you have any tips that you've kind of learned throughout the years to not have that happen? Um, I'd say if I
1: was refereeing the game and I had the bands, I – I think that one big one big thing that I actually found from uh, one of the more experienced referees that I'd worked with uh, would be uh, prior to the game, really just introducing yourself and um, getting them to come down to your level on the bench and just really turning it into more of just a just a man to man conversation, kind of saying things along the lines of, um, "Hey, coach, um, my name's Adam." um what's your name kind of just having a little bit of a conversation beforehand letting them know that um yeah i'm human i'll make i'll do the best that i can during the game i want you to do the best that you can do for your players during the game and if we have any issues throughout this this 60 minutes or or 90 minutes that we have together here that um i'll come over to you and i'll talk to you but i want it to be like a civil conversation i don't want it to be a yelling fest even if you're yelling at me, I'm still not going to come over and yell at you. I'll I'll try to calm you down. But I it just creating that that the little bit of communication prior rapport, to the before I think so. You're looking for for that word. Yeah, exactly. Just being able to um really just get on the same page. And some coaches really get it, and some unfortunately really don't. And um it's it's a learning experience for both referees because um I've also found that a lot of referees they uh, they have their own ways of kind of doing this some some don't really like to have that conversation with the ref or with the coaches beforehand yeah uh and just letting the game flow as it does and then deal with situations when they occur yeah but um i'd say personally in my um from my experience it, it really does help building that rapport like you're saying because uh there's nothing, there's nothing worse than getting to a point in a game where you've barely ever talked to any of the coaches. And then it gets down to a situation where they're just screaming and screaming at each other, uh, mm-hmm. on the ice. And up until that point, you really didn't talk to each other, you know, just general communication verbally. And,
0: um, even just physical, uh, is huge. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like just to build off that, like, there's always a few things that I've learned along the way too. Like, you know, one thing I've noticed, and I'm sure you've sort of noticed it, too, is that, you know, a lot of referees, especially when they're starting out, are, you know, a lot of them might be, you know, 15, 16 years old that are going against, you know, what are 30, 40-year-old men. Yeah. And that might be a pretty darn intimidating situation to have to give a coach a bench minor or, you know, an a like Conduct. I mean, is, you think that's part of it, too? Definitely. It's uh, even, even me
1: personally. Uh, when I started off, I'd say I didn't give a, uh, I didn't even give a bench minor, uh, to a coach that was yelling up until probably two would have been my second year. And, um, I think it was just because it's all about confidence, just being confident in your ability and, um, just generally just confident because, yeah, you're, you're going to be going up against coaches that, uh, have almost like two decades on you and, uh, being 14. Uh, 14 or 15 years old or some people I, I know Sean Corcoran actually started when he was 12 or 12 or 13. so it, it, it makes a, it makes a huge difference but um, what I've also found is the mentorship program which actually we started off uh, well for me in my first year um, being paired up for a few of your first games at least uh, with a mentor that's been doing it for years it really really does help because it, it really does gives the, the new official confidence. Uh, to be able to make his own calls and see, and visually see how coaches and the, those situations are supposed to be handled the correct way. And me personally, I know I'm a visual learner. Um, you'll tell me something over over um over the phone or something like that, and it'll go right over my head. But if I see it, it's going to be a lot harder for me to forget it. So um, for me personally, I was actually on with um, would have been Rick Caverley for my first uh, first ever game and it was huge. Uh, one coach was a little angry and at the time um rule book knowledge was a little lacking in my first game, not going to lie. Um so it that makes a huge difference as well actually too. Uh just with the general confidence of being an official. If you know your rules and you uh, are confident in the ones that maybe a coach is trying to kind of fight you against. Uh, you stand your ground. It's so much easier for you to to have that confidence going up and speaking to a coach if you know that you are correct 100%. Yeah, uh,
0: that's a good I, point. No, like uh, the way I was, I've I've kind of learned over the years is that, and that you're, you're you're totally right. It's it's a lot of it's all about confidence and knowing the rule. But because the way I was taught was that you know, let's say you make a call, um, and a coach is just losing it on you, if you are a hundred percent behind that call and you know, you're right. You, you, you argue for that call. You, you, you don't back down on that. Not to say you inflame the coach, but you, you know, you, you really say that's the right call. Yep. Whereas, you know, if you, if you mess up a call, Hey, don't be afraid to, to say, you know, I messed up, but you're totally right. Like it comes down to really knowing that rule book and being confident and knowing you made the right call.
1: Definitely. I actually, I've seen it numerous occasions where, um, where a coach maybe somewhat like maybe a, let's say a a wrong call was made on the ice, and instead of owning up to that wrong call and changing it, people almost try to play it off. Yeah. Which um, it's a regular occurrence because that's kind of that's it's almost human nature to to try to play off an error in a situation like that. But um, you can really tell, and I know coaches from personal experience because I, I know a few coaches personally that have just been doing coaching throughout their livelihood. And uh, they can just tell visually that um, maybe a referee is just uncertain of something. So really, um, really knowing the rule book, I'd say, is is crucial because it just gives you that one extra step of um, of just confidence, like we were talking about, of knowing that you're making the correct call. And no matter what the coach says, you know exactly what you're going to say to him because, you know, almost line for line what the rule is. Right. Yeah.
0: And, you know, you know, as we're talking about sort of, you know, this whole podcast is mostly centered around, you know, dealing with, 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 with angry coaches or angry parents. But you're, you're totally right. I mean, and, you know, a lot of that comes down to you're talking about confidence, you know, is looking the part, right? I think, you know, yep. you come in, you look professional, you, you know, you, you don't look like you woke up five minutes before the game. You come in professional, you know, good posture, you're not slouching, you look like you want to be there. I think you know a coach looks at that and they say, okay, this guy is here. He's ready to work. He might get the benefit of the doubt. So I, you know, I, I think that's that's a that's a big part of it too. Yeah, I've uh, I'm a little OCD actually when it comes
1: to all the um, all the appearance and all that style kind of. Um, I've always been like that. So uh, I knew coming from playing hockey initially that I want to wanted to become a referee that I wanted to to look as good as I possibly can. And uh, even coming into the games, like you said beforehand, looking as professional as possible. And then when you get out onto the ice, uh, those first those first um, those first instances where a coach sees you, or really even players see you, that can be their their thought of you for the rest of the game, right? If you don't look professional, if you're if you just generally don't look like you um, like you're a referee, they automatically have that thought of you don't know what you're doing, and they're going to be questioning. Uh, they're going to be questioning your calls, no matter how much knowledge you have. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's so important. And I've, I've always, I can't stress that enough to have um, as good a style as possible. And it might sound, it might sound weird and it depending on which way you look at it, but it's just looking good. Really just, it helps your performance. It's uh, feel good or look good, feel good, play good. Yeah. You know, it, anything to boost your confidence because at night having a good little swagger out there, it, it's game changer. And uh, people.
0: Yeah, and I was gonna say it's interesting because it's funny you're talking about this, and I'm sort of brought back to the story I was reading. It uh, probably was a couple of weeks ago about, you know, where did the black and white stripes come from for referees? And you know, do you know what it was before? You know, you, you know whatever sport, do you know what they used to wear before they they wore the the black and white uh, striped shirts that we have today?
1: I don't actually know to be honest.
0: So a lot of the old school guys used to wear. You know, a nice sweater, and then you, they'd have a shirt and tie on underneath. Oh, nice. Right? So you look at those old games. They had the shirt and ties on, the old black and white games on uh, TV or whatever. The oh, old yeah. photos for the NHL. And I was like, oh, that's odd. And then the story <laughs> I was reading, it was talking about how the referee wanted to come in, you know, looking professional. And because that professionalism gives you an, an air of authority around you, which makes yeah. sense to me. And that's kind of exactly what you're saying, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, this, you know, this is... A lot of the stuff we're talking about is, you know, it's dealing with, 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 you're presuming you're dealing with professional coaches as well. But, you know, again, sometimes you'll have those coaches that just, you know, it, it's, you can't really manage them that well. It's just, it'll be an ongoing battle. And, you know, I think there's a lot of listeners out there that know what I mean that, you know, sometimes there's those coaches that just are not reasonable. They'll just argue for the sake of arguing. And, you know, I'm wondering maybe if we could maybe talk a little bit about the certain tactics that, that you sort of used if, if there's a coach that's just going off on you, I mean, that, you know, you can't talk to I mean, what do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? Do you just bench minor? Do you kick him out? What, what, what's your thought process on that?
1: Uh, so my thought process would be, uh, I've been taught coming up through the years of refereeing that, uh, you, you want to stick to that, that to, um, that bench minor, right. Initially, you always want to stick to that, but then, uh, moving up the rankings, um, it really, it changes, you know, because people, people are maybe moving a little bit more away from the, um, like, the, almost like the baseline and all the black and white calls. Um, and they're getting more into, uh, they're dealing with the specific situations. And um, when, let's say, a uh, coach starts throwing his arms up and giving a nice little Don Cherry action, mm-hmm. uh, I've actually had a specific situation like that before where I was on the lines for it. And um, the referee had... Uh, he had actually told us prior to the game that he would actually think that the, the coach might do something like that because he'd had problems with him in the past. Mm-hmm. And I watched the referee go right up to him and tell him, if you don't cherry me ever again, you're going to be out of this game. He just told it to him nice and respectfully. And I was right there beside him and it was, uh, it was perfect. It's exactly what I would do in that situation. Yeah. So, uh, this was, I think it was a, it was a high, uh, Banna, it was a Banner AAA game, and he had told him, just, hey, coach, can you step down for a second? And he stepped down. He was livid in the situation, but he he calmed him down and said, coach, uh, if you throw your arms like up like that again and make me look bad on the ice while I'm doing my job, I'm going to have nothing else to do but to throw you out of the game. He didn't give him a two in that situation. And it completely calmed him down, and he didn't say one word for the rest of the game. So it's it's almost finding that line of, um, of you want to keep the game flowing as much as possible, but you want to make sure that you're not you're not getting um, humiliated at all on the ice, right? Okay. You're the yeah you're the authority, and uh, the coaches, realistically, they're they're just like the players, right? They're just uh, they're just players in the game. And we're the law. So we got to make sure that we never get talked down to. We got to make sure that we're never embarrassed in front of the people because, um, at the end of the day, we're the ones that make sure this game runs smoothly, right? Yeah. So we want to, and we want to keep a rapport with the coaches and we want to make sure that, uh, in times when, uh, we see these coaches again and when we see these players or fans again, we want people to know that, um, yeah, this person's professional or, or um they know what they're doing, they're um they can they can stay calm in situations and I guess generally they're just professional individuals, which is the biggest. Thing. But um but yeah, I'd say I'd personally uh stick to uh giving the bench miner. Um, if you feel it's, it's warranted before, uh, you were even going to think about kicking the coach out, but then again, it always depends on how severe, um, a coach reacts to something. If he's standing up swearing at you, you have, you have no, uh, you have no other option but to kick him out of the game. But, um, if you think it's a situation that you can control, maybe with just a bench minor, then, uh, feel free to give him that bench minor. And if he does it again, then you know what to do.
0: Right. So, Yeah. And one thing that I've I've sort of learned, and when I was starting out, I didn't really maybe I didn't really this wasn't part of my thought process. I mean, sometimes when you get in an argument with a coach, your your natural tendency is to stand there and hold your ground and you know sort of have a you know a standoff with them. But one thing I started to appreciate, especially in a four man system, is if a referee calls a penalty and you know the coach is going to be incensed, it doesn't have to be a bench minor, but it can, it can be something, you know, a trip or a hook that you know the coach is not going to like. Don't sort of stand there and sort of wait for him to say something. I mean, call your penalty, go to the corner lineup for the face-off. I, I, I see it a lot where I see referees that they'll call a penalty, they'll do their line change, they'll sort of wait for him to say something, and you know he's upset. But, yeah. you know, if you if you sort of force that confrontation... It can really lead to some some bad spots. So I think one thing that I've really learned is you call that penalty, just skate away. Don't give the coach a chance to blow up. Yeah. If, if you can keep them in the game, if you can keep them from from blowing up, it I think it serves the game pretty well. So that's one thing that I've learned. I don't know if you've ever heard of a similar sort of strategy or or tactics yeah. in that regard, but
1: definitely, it's almost like the exact same thing. It's almost like um, the referee, depending on how the coach really acts during the game, is the deciding factor whether or not a coach can stay or a coach can go. Right. So it's um, you're giving him uh, by making that call and, you know, he's going to be he's going to be unhappy with you. And um, you can just sense that he's getting a little angry or maybe he can be crossing that line really at any point in time. You want to get away from them as much as possible. Don't even give them that that second to potentially say something to you. Which sometimes in some situations, uh, even if you don't want to throw them out, you kind of have to, depending on what they do, right? So it's it's not giving them the uh, the time of day in some situations. But yet again, um, you have to give them that, that time of day in other cases because, um, well, just generally, you you want to you want to keep that rapport, right, with the coach. Absolutely.
0: If, um, no, I think it, it makes it. It's part of being a good referee. I mean, yeah. you know, I think we uh, talk about it a lot as referees. Uh, there's there's really a lot that goes into it. I mean, it's not simply knowing your rule book. I mean, you can referee like that, but it's when you really get past that, and you and you you start to understand the emotions involved in the game, you know, the flow of a game, when you should you know start calling penalties, when you should back off and let them play a little bit, and I think that's a huge part is understanding emotions, right? You know, sometimes it's, it might be a playoff game, game seven, or something like that, and you know those coaches are going to be extra emotional, and, you know, sometimes you have to understand that in, in the game, I think. You know, do you have a... Maybe you have, oh, yeah. yeah?
1: I, uh, I have a specific thing, actually, that I saw last night. It was, um... Uh, God, I can't remember if it was a few nights ago, but it was uh, it was a couple of the NHL fans on Twitter, actually, I watched this, and... Um, it was the. I'm not sure if you're aware of the the Twitter page, the Scouting the Refs, yeah, for the NHL. Yeah, so they, they do a lot of good things, and for for any of the listeners, it's actually it's actually a really good source of information. They post a lot of a lot of funny things, a lot of uh, um, a lot of helpful rules, and all those kind of things. Um, but anyways, it's it's all to do with the NHL, and I think the NHL has one too. Yep. But. Um, but yeah, it was a couple of a uh, couple of Twitter fans were enraged with the fact that all oh, the NHL referees are doing a terrible job, and they there was a, actually a video posted, um, just like a little quick GIF of it was actually Boston and in, on Boston and Toronto, and it was a situation where Marshawn hit the back of Marner's head. I don't know if you saw the, the video of that. I don't think I did. Uh, he was pushing him down to the ice, and it was really just a playoff, a playoff little battle for the puck in the corner. So, if you really go rule book, uh, rule book wise in that situation, you have about you have about probably six to seven minor penalties, right? <laughs> but uh, in that situation in the playoffs, um, the NHL that Twitter account stepped in and said, um, "No, the the referees didn't miss all those calls. They just chose not to call them." Right in the playoffs. It, in some ways, some people see it as the game should be called black and white all the time because then it keeps it consistent for the players and coaches, right? But I love the fact that when we get into playoff hockey, it's it's really just a feel for the game for the referees. It's uh you you got to make sure that you're because you got to make sure you're making the right calls, but you also got to make sure that you're not kind of screwing over a team, right? Yeah. So um, by making maybe too many calls or calling a weak one somewhere and then letting it go in another situation can really change the game. But, um, yeah, it's um, – God, I'm trying to think of what – house- no, I, I really – I think you're,
0: you're totally on point. And, I, you know, I think to sort of bring it back to what we've been talking about, you know, dealing with angry coaches, players, uh, parents, it's, it's really like tying it to really understanding the emotions at play. And I think yep. that's kind of what you're talking about is sort of under, understanding this, you know, what, what's happening beyond the game itself, right? You know, what's what the guys are thinking. And, um, you know, uh, to kind of wrap it up because we're, we're in the last, uh, you know, bit of the podcast here, but, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that are listening to this and they're saying, okay, these are great tips for me that I'll be able to use. But, I mean, we hear about the statistics every year about, you know, how, you know, 50% of all new referees won't come back the next year. And there's, you know, you have all these tactics on how to deal with coaches. But, I mean, there's a big psychological part. There's a, an emotional part that some referees that are starting out are just, te- you know, terrified of the idea of a coach yelling at them. Or they, you know, if a coach blows up at, on them, they, they, you know, it stays with them for a while. Can you maybe talk about how you approach that in your first few years and what you think? you know, what, what advice would you basically give to these new referees that are going to have it happen to them and then you want them to react positively?
1: Yeah, um, me personally, that would be, when I came into refereeing, I never really thought about the whole situation of getting of getting yelled at by anyone. Like, you see it on TV almost as it, as it being the norm to happen in, in sports, right? Where referees are almost not considered human and they're just yelled at. Um, but I came into refereeing, Thinking that I'd be able to to deal with it uh, to an extent where it wouldn't really it wouldn't really affect me. Um, so I'd say my first couple of games there, I never really got yelled at, if I remember correctly. But um, if I could give like a tip to all the first year officials um, or se- even second year officials um, who maybe are a little scared of coaches, I'd say um, just trying to think back to experience here. I'd say I have to go back to what I was talking about earlier in the podcast is just really being as confident as possible in your abilities. You know, individuals know themselves. um, They know their own abilities and they know how good they can be at something. And really just being confident in in yourself, really getting to know those rules because at the end of the day, it's knowing your rules versus not knowing your rules. Right. So it's, it's, if you don't want to get yelled at as bad as it sounds, if you don't want to get yelled at for maybe making an incorrect call, um, then knowing those rules, maybe the next time will help you, uh, avoid the whole entire situation entirely. Right. Yeah. Um, and maybe something else it would just be, um, attempt to, I'm not sure how other referee associations do it, but really for those first, uh, first few years, um, Try to be with someone that has experience that really can help you out in those situations because there's nothing worse than getting thrown into a situation where um, where you don't have that experience of talking to a coach yet. Right. Uh, and then it it could really just end you. It could it uh, honestly because coaches can they can be pretty pretty nasty sometimes. Yeah. So. It's um, being able to have that experienced the official there to guide you through at least the first couple of times of communicating with a coach and players as well. It, it, I can't say anything. Like, it's just a game changer. It's um, yeah. not being thrown into the fire solo the first few times. It's, it's being able to to have backup, yeah. as they say. I guess. So I guess
0: for the assigners basically out know, there, basically it comes down to. Really supporting your your new guys, essentially, and not putting them in in difficult, well, not difficult situations, but situations where you're basically setting them up to fail. You Give them that experience, give them that that support to be able to do well. And I know when we had Craig on the podcast, he was very adamant about that. For the listeners out there that haven't listened to this podcast, I definitely recommend giving that mentorship podcast a, a listen to. But basically, Craig was talking about, hey, like, you know, we have new guys that We want them to really love officiating. And we know that if they stick with it for a few years, they're going to come to love it. But those first few years can be tough. And if you don't give them that support, hey, you know, you're putting them in a tough situation. So I totally agree with you. And then what you're saying about being confident, I think that's really important. And, you know, I'm thinking back to when I was starting out, when I had a a few rough games where, you know, coaches were yelling at me. It's, It's coming back to the room after the game, sitting down, you know, kind of going through it and saying, hey, like, listen, it's a learning process. Use it, you know. Yep. Add it to the to the to the tool to the toolbox here. Be confident, oh. you know. You do a good job, and just you know, kind of telling yourself that, I guess, right?
1: Yep, definitely. It's it's making sure that that every every new game that you go out to do, because they're all different in some way, right? It's um, I guess being on the lines. Some people could think it's just going it's just going about. Uh, the motions, right but it's so much more than that it's there's something to be learned every single time you step out on the ice and even when you're when you're in the referee room if it's um just a learning a new way to possibly communicate with different officials or really learning like a full new rule that you never heard about that was uh i'd say probably the the best part about refereeing for me would just be that every single time you step on the ice you i personally try to learn something new not just going in there and uh, making the however many dollars you make for the like maybe a three set or a two set and then getting out of there, but just really trying to make sure that I maybe absorb as much information and ask questions. I can't I probably can't uh, um, say that enough. is just if you really want to get better at officiating and you really want to make it to those next those next levels, Ask your supervisors questions, ask your more experienced officials questions about anything because there's, there's no bad questions and there's um, there's no questions that should be really left unanswered uh, for referees because uh, the more, you know, the better you can
0: be and the better you can become. Right. So I, I think that's, that's that's terrific advice. And uh, I've heard this before and I, I'm sure you've heard as well as when you when you go into a game and you think you know everything, you know, that's where you set yourself up to fail. Yeah. Ultimately, whether you're doing a novice game, you know, an NHL game, every game's a learning experience. And if you think you know everything, it's it's really about taking it away. So, again, like you know, if you deal with a coach that's screaming at you and you don't know how to do, you know, handle it for the first time, that's a learning experience. You'll be able to to process that and put it to your to your uh, your uh, your knowledge set, I guess, to to move forward on your in your career. So, um, no, Adam, I, I really want to thank you for taking your time to provide this advice and to just chat and to to really um, help out all of our listeners out there that might be wondering how to, you know, deal with, with coaches and confrontation. And I'm wondering maybe if you just have a, a, a last bit of advice or, or uh, you know, from, from your experience yeah. to, to all these officials out there as they pr- proceed in their careers. Definitely.
1: Uh, well, it's my completely my pleasure. It's, uh, it's something that I really wish... Um, this uh, team stripes. I really wish uh, this was around when I first started refereeing because uh, ever since the first day that you guys put up your first video and I talked to to Dan Spence um, about uh, the team stripes page and uh, the whole kind of company, it's um, oh my god, it, it it's so helpful. All the little all the little tips and tricks that you can learn along the way, uh, it just, everything just makes you better, right? There's there's no bad information when it comes to refereeing and it's um, I'd say one last thing to end it off, I'd say is just, uh, just have fun with it. You know, it, it becomes, um, it becomes maybe, uh, a little stressful to some people sometimes get putting those, uh, those stripes on going out onto the ice, but just have fun with it. Have fun with the guys that you're refereeing with, make it a good time. And, um, then go out there and ref, uh, ref, work your butt off and make as best calls as you possibly can make. And, um, and be as professional as possible all the time. That's
0: probably what, I'll, what I'd leave it off with. Well, Adam, I think that's pretty good advice for, for this uh, week's podcast. And, again, thank you very much for your time. And, uh, yeah, we uh, we look forward to seeing you down the road. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me, Brandon. I appreciate it. Thank you.